0: This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G O M O T O.com.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer 20% off a one year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you go to autonews.com daily drive promo to redeem welcome to daily drive for wednesday november 15th 2023 i'm jamie butters executive editor of automotive news in los angeles and
2: i'm kellen walker in las vegas today on the show uaw ratification voting at gm is coming in and it's looking very close gm quietly snatches up a key tesla supplier and the Toyota Camry is going hybrid. Plus, China's growing presence in Mexico is causing some North American suppliers to ring alarm bells.
3: Their market share has gone up from 5.7% to 19.4% in one year. 49% of the demand for industrial park space is Chinese. Let's run through all the news you
1: need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Workers at seven of General Motors' 11 U.S. assembly plants have voted against the company's tentative labor agreement with the UAW. But the deal's chances of ratification improved this morning after getting support from a key SUV factory in Texas. About 60% of production workers in Arlington, Texas, voted in favor of the proposed contract. That result followed rejections in Missouri, Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, and three plants in Michigan. A vote count published by the union this morning showed the tentative agreement on track to narrowly win approval, 52% to 48%. Nearly 64% of skilled trades workers were in support of the tentative agreement while it was losing by 19 votes among production workers. That's out of nearly 19,000 tallied. But that count doesn't yet include the results from Arlington Assembly. It also doesn't account for Lansing Delta Township Assembly in Michigan and Fort Wayne Assembly in Indiana, both of which turned down the deal. Workers at other assembly plants in Lansing and Flint, Michigan and Spring Hill, Tennessee previously rejected the agreement. We have a running tally of votes on AutoNews.com where you can find the latest results for UAW ratification voting.
2: Tesla has lost a key supplier to General Motors. For years, a little-known company called Tooling and Equipment International, or TEI, has helped Tesla push back the frontiers of gigacasting. That's the process it pioneered to cast large body parts of cars in one piece to save time and money. Now, TEI is owned by General Motors. Sources told Reuters that it probably paid less than $100 million, and TEI will play a major role in the Detroit automaker's strategy to make up ground on Tesla. They say the acquisition means GM has jumpstarted its own push to make cars more cheaply and efficiently at a time when Tesla is racing to roll out a $25,000 EV. Tesla and TEI President
1: Oliver Johnson did not respond to requests for comment. Before that transaction came to light, Berkshire Hathaway started shedding its holdings in GM. The move comes as the conglomerate, controlled by billionaire Warren Buffett, has boosted its cash pile to a record $157 billion. In a regulatory filing detailing its U.S.-listed stock holdings as of September 30th, Berkshire reported no holdings in GM after reporting a stake of $848 million in June. Berkshire cut its stake in GM by 45% the previous quarter, ending in June. Buffett has long been loyal to the Detroit Three and was known for driving a Cadillac. In 2012, Berkshire acquired 10 million shares in GM, but the firm's stake has grown and shrunk over the past decade amid recalls and other developments.
2: Battery startups have raised at least $5.2 billion this year from institutional investors. That's despite automakers' delayed production plans and slowing electric vehicle growth. According to an Automotive News analysis of fundraising rounds, those investments include $4.9 billion in August and September. Their success indicates investor confidence in the industry transformation to EVs, as well as in a burgeoning domestic battery supply chain. Battery materials recycler Redwood Materials raised $1 billion in August. French manufacturer of low-carbon batteries, Vercor, raised $2.1 billion in September. Those companies and others are now flush with cash and moving ahead with manufacturing facilities and other projects.
1: And when it arrives next year, the next iteration of Toyota's top-selling sedan will be exclusively hybrid. The 2025 Toyota Camry will also have all-wheel drive available as an option for all trim levels and will feature new styling and technology inside and out. Toyota is keeping the Camry on its current platform, but has re-engineered the sedan to improve performance and handling. That includes giving it a new hybrid powertrain. Toyota has not announced pricing details for the 2025 Camry. It is expected to begin arriving at U.S. dealerships in the spring. And those are today's headlines. Jamie,
2: it's safe to say the main goal for automakers is to make an affordable EV that's profitable. With GM acquiring TEI, how big of a leap do you think this is for GM
1: getting closer to making that affordable EV? Maybe more of a step than a leap, but it seems to be an important one. I mean, let's be honest, uh, the biggest burden for the cost of EVs is the battery. Uh, That's the biggest problem to solve, but there are a lot of others. Tesla has definitely found some savings with its casting strategy. TEI is just one of many uh, suppliers that are involved in Tesla's giga casting, but we see Toyota getting into it, other automakers. So here's GM really going in, you know, putting some skin in the game and acquiring a supplier. Definitely a part of the future and maybe something that even relates to the UAW negotiations that have shown the uh, higher cost of labor in America these days. Gotcha,
2: that's interesting. Uh, Coming up, what does China's growing presence in the Mexican automotive market mean for companies in the U.S. and Canada? We'll hear from the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association's Flavio Volpe next on Daily Drive.
4: The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating, but is it enough? This
2: is a moral imperative, an economic imperative,
4: a moral imperative but also a moment
2: of
1: extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply
4: no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future and we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lien. Gomoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit Gomoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. North American suppliers have had plenty to contend with over the past few years, from pandemic disruptions to the recent UAW strike. As if that wasn't enough, there's another trend emerging that also has suppliers calling on federal governments for a stronger response. The massive growth of Chinese automakers and suppliers in Mexico could signal increased competition and even direct encroachment into markets in the U.S. and Canada. Flavio Volpe is the head of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. He spoke with Greg Lason on the most recent episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. Here's a piece of their conversation.
5: This appears to be a big topic. It's not getting a lot of traction yet in mainstream media, but... The way you have sold it and raised the issue and rung the alarm bells, how big is this issue of China's presence in Mexico?
3: Well, I think it's a really good early warning story, And but for those of us who are close to it, it's not that early, of uh, how the Chinese uh, 10-year strategy uh, on uh, EVs and uh, export of advanced uh, vehicles around the world is playing out in North America they are really pushing product from major brands, you know, state controlled, uh, state financed companies into North America starting with Mexico. Uh there has been a very big uptick uh, percentage wise in Canada and in the US, but you know, those are mainly uh Chinese assembled American cars. What they're doing in Mexico is twofold. One is Let's try very quickly to acquire market share, mostly with internal combustion engine vehicles. Then, you know, BYD launched a new uh, EV platform called the Dolphin in Mexico, low entry point uh, of price, and at the same time, have an aggressive foreign direct investment strategy for the supply sector into Mexico. You know, places like Nuevo Leon are filling up with uh chinese state-owned suppliers and state finance suppliers in there to compete for uh the market share that's owned by market-driven players from canada us europe uh korea japan
5: are those chinese suppliers supplying north american automakers and european automakers assembling vehicles in mexico right now or do those Chinese suppliers plan on supplying those parts to European and North American automakers?
3: They are supplying all of those market-driven automakers in China for manufacturing for the domestic market. They are starting to get uh, business in uh, Mexico for uh, some of those foreign OEMs, and some of them are investing heavily. You know to suppliers that uh, I flagged earlier this week that landed uh, with about a billion dollars of U.S. foreign direct investment in Nueva Leon to serve uh, Tesla at the behest of uh, Tesla. So, you know, also uh, some automakers, you know, encouraging their Chinese suppliers to come and uh, in some cases displace current suppliers. But in other cases like Tesla saying, well, look, Part of our competitive advantage here is to get stuff as cheaply as we can. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to come here and help make it work for us out of uh, our announced plan in Monterey, then uh, we'll award you the business. It might be good for Tesla. It's not good for North America.
5: And that's what I was going to ask. How does this affect North American suppliers and in particular Canadian suppliers? We know that we have a presence in Mexico. How does China's arrival affect Canadian suppliers there?
3: Well, look, Canadian suppliers are trying to run going concerns. You, know, you want to stay solvent. You want to win new business. You've got to uh, be profitable or show a path to profitability uh, from a new customer in a schedule that uh, looks good to your uh, shareholders, uh, to your lenders, uh, to your partners. So there is, in a competition uh, for a program, Price isn't necessarily the competitive advantage for any of those market-driven players, uh, although they will, you know, of course, you know, everybody gets bare knuckled when it comes down to winning. But Canadian suppliers have to pay for money in opportunity cost or in the cost of uh, borrowing. Uh, the Chinese uh, have the advantage of being financed by a centrally planned economy. Now, the, the the money's cheaper. The return expectation is cheaper. They don't have the same relationship with return on investment so they may flirt with it but they're married to uh, acquiring market share, and, and so that allows you uh, to turn around and say mm, whatever the price is of that market-driven player i'm going to go you know one percent three percent lower it's like playing the prices right here and they can consistently do it because they're also all part of china's central plan for export of chinese auto around the world you know they they, they launched a 10-year plan in 2015 And, you know, we're seeing this roll out the way that they intended it. And if you're a Canadian supplier and you lose that business from a well-armed, well-funded, high-quality competitor who isn't a market-driven player, they continue to encroach both in that region and and upwards into uh, North America, you know, into the U.S. and maybe Canada, then what are the options? Where's your growth market as a Canadian supplier? First of all, it's continental. You know, we don't ship parts profitably at volume across oceans. And then number two, this is rolling. This is happening in Western Europe as well, Eastern Europe. This is happening across Asia. You could go to the Southern Hemisphere here, but of course, the investments in Colombia and Brazil and Argentina uh, look the same. And so, at some point, you have to decide that you have to you're going to defend the goal. You, you can't outscore them, but you might as well keep the puck out every once in a while. You went to Washington recently
5: to raise this issue. Who did you speak with? What did you say? And what was
3: the response? So first thing is, is that we tried to reach as many people as we can in a, in a, in a broad spectrum of agencies and departments that touch on automotive, energy, uh, commerce, state, treasury, uh, spoke uh, to congressional staff, key congressional staff on uh, committees that are usually the ones that are the, the the canaries for trade irregularities. We reached out to the White House. We reached out to USTR. And what we said was, you know, we've been seeing this trend for a couple of years. And, and seeing a trend and raising the alarm is one thing. You know, we've been doing that probably since the summer. We did that in Ottawa. But the stats are out now. And the stats in Mexico are that uh, Chinese automakers, uh, have um, their market share has gone up from 5.7% to 19.4% in one year. The Association of Industrial Parks in Mexico reported this year that 49% of the demand for industrial park space is Chinese. We have now a list of Chinese companies that have invested billions in manufacturing, specifically in automotive, in Mexico, in states like Nuevo Leon, where you can point to, there's the facility, this is who their customer is. And we said the USMCA, the IRA, Standing Investment Review Acts are all good, especially to track and in some cases be the final approval bodies for mergers and acquisitions activity the IRA has provisions in it for foreign entities of concern you know specifically look if you're going to if you're a customer and you want to leverage uh, the EV tax credit well the batteries can't come from uh, feOCs if you want to go for production credits uh, like the ones we've been discussing in this country for the last six months you can't be a foreign entity of concern. What we said is we've got to close that back door for foreign direct investment. It's very difficult for a governor or a premier of any state or province to say, ah, no thanks to a billion dollar investment and, you know, tens of thousands of jobs. It's not for them. You know, we, we've got to shore up how we use that, you know, FEOC definition for actual investment in corporate structures, understanding where people's capital comes from and what the price of that is and if we're going to be real about nearshoring an allyship, then we can't be naive about the fact that the Chinese are equally as intelligent as we are and equally as motivated as we are. But they're not burdened with the long arm of you know, doing things with the same values that we have.
5: Did you get a sense in Washington that the U.S. government was going to address this matter, was going to do something about it?
3: Well, first of all, what we saw was in some cases you know people telling us that they remain optimistic and we just launched these measures you know including the IRA and critical mineral strategies and the, uh, that we think are going to uh, shore up north america in the long term and please don't you know you're the you're the skunk at the barbecue but they all kind of pivoted when we said hey by the way 2 weeks ago the chinese said we're going to have export controls on graphite they have about 65% of the world's uh, production of graphite, uh, which is an important mineral that's required in battery manufacturing uh, for anodes, for example. You know, Each each EV that you see on the road probably has somewhere between 50 and 100 uh, kilograms of graphite in it. And they're going to turn the tap off. They've told us they're going to turn the tap off. Do you think they're going to turn the tap off for their suppliers that are invested in Mexico? No. Do you think that you're going to be able to make these all these Electric vehicles that you're mandating the industry to make by 100% by 2035? Do you think you can do that without getting critical minerals from China? If you do, you're going to lose. If you read the graphite shot across the bow as you're not going anywhere without us, then you'll be motivated. You know, these were hard conversations.
1: Flavio Volpe is the head of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. He spoke with Automotive News Canada's Greg Lason on the most recent episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. You can hear their full conversation wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today, I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callum
2: Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer, Jake Neer, as well as our own Lindsey Hulley, Molly Boygon, Paige Hodder, and Larry Valquet for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on suppliers, UAW ratification voting, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com.
1: If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.